Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tara and Andrew versus the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. I'm Tara. I'm Andrew. This is the 16th in our 3,726 part series in which we randomly pick a movie from the Scarecrow Video Guide, watch it, do a little research, and come back with our thoughts and opinions uh, for you all to enjoy. Hopefully. Hopefully. So we have two rules. First is that uh, we are unable to veto the movie as long as it's something that we have not already seen. Second is that the movie does have to be less than four hours in length. Uh, then also we just want to state on the record that we are not affiliated with Scarecrow Video at all. So any of these hot takes you hear are ours and ours alone. So in our last episode, we watched The Apartment, uh, which we both liked a whole, whole bunch. The first Don't Not Watch in our illustrious history. Yeah, it's very illustrious. So it was a great movie with a really good mix of humor and like more dramatic side of it. Right. And just uh, the fact that it dealt with issues like adultery and suicide attempts and did it thoughtfully. Pretty impressive. Plus you get to see a super young Shirley MacLaine. And a reasonably young Jack Lemmon. Yeah, reasonably young. Certainly yeah. younger than Grumpy Old Men. Yes. <laughs> the the, the <laughs> yeah, other the... point of reference <laughs> I think of Jack Lemmon is, is actually grumpy. And grumpy and grumpier. And man. grumpier, can't, yes. Can't neglect grumpier. Uh-uh. Just ratchet that grump up. Yep. Pup up the grump. Should have been the tagline. Well, it's not too late. It's not too late. I'm available for hire. <laughs> for the third. For the grumpy old men. For grumpiest for, old men. Yeah. Ooh, that's, uh, <laughs> do not want to see They got it. a new new grump in their rump. I would hope yeah. so. It's either that or exhume the corpses of Walter Matthau or Jack Lemmon. So <laughs> well, yeah. Some new, new grump blood in there. Yep. <laughs> Gotta get some fresh grump. It sounds like a fish. Like freshly caught grump. Oh, it does. Oh, catch of the day. Ew. Market pricing. Probably a very, very ugly fish. Yeah, it'd be like a bottom feeder, I would Yeah, think. it totally would. Something that you have to, like, convince your friends is really delicious. Yeah. Like, no, it's good. Yeah, I mean, it eats the scum off the bottom of the riverbed. But, oh my god, that uh, scum just gives it uh, such a, a beautiful succulent. flavor. Mm. <laughs> so that's our imaginary fish that we <laughs> everybody. So, today is Andrew's day to pick a movie. So I'm going to start flipping through a very hefty tome. So, I'm just curious because we always like wait a few seconds, yeah. and so. All right. We're watching Remains of the Day. Are we? We are. Okay. Directed by James Ivory, from <sighs> 1993, 134 minutes in length. Okay. Starring Anthony Hopkins, James Fox, Christopher Reeve, Emma Thompson, and Peter Vaughn. Hopkins strips is actually often hammy, stock and trade, to play the purposefully repressed butler who has dedicated his life to capturing the perfect, well-mannered distance of the ultimate gentleman's gentleman. So placid and disconnected is he that he rejects even the intrusion of his own feelings when he becomes attracted to the manor's new housekeeper, the professional yet individual Thompson. Ivory's camera is just as proper as Hopkins' manners, not quite intimate yet fearlessly penetrating. Behind the elegant surfaces, under the manners and rituals, and beneath the frozen faces, he finds the repression and denials that trap Hopkins' butler and Fox's lord of the manor. Adapted by screenwriter Ruth Prar Jabvala from the 1989 Pulitzer Prize-winning novel by Kazuo Ishiguro, this is one of the most powerful and nuanced of the merchant ivory dramas of England's calcified class system. 
All this right. is your first Merchant Ivory yeah, production? I don't know. I don't think I've like knowingly watched any Merchant Ivory films. And so I guess we will see how this goes. Yeah, oh, I'm just guessing on the offset. I'll probably enjoy it a little bit more than you do. I've got more of a penchant for some of them old-timey dramas. To be fair, like I was iffy about the apartment yeah. and I ended up liking that a lot. So maybe, yeah. you know, we will see. Who knows? All right. Well, we'll be back with our thoughts and opinions on Remains of the Day after this musical interlude. We are back. Uh, Yay! We just finished watching the remains of the day. So shall we get into our pre-spoiler rating section of the podcast? Uh, yes, let's. So for those unfamiliar, the uh, the rating scale that we use, it's a five-point scale going from don't watch to maybe don't watch to, uh, to maybe watch and then uh, top of the scale, don't not watch. I've got a rating in mind. Do you have a, a rating picked yeah, out? Yeah, I've got a rating in mind. All right, so let's, on the count of three, reveal our rating. I don't know why I said it weirdly like that, but here we go. One, two, three. And uh, it's a fine movie. There's nothing wrong with the movie. Not at all. And I think the fact that you kind of are more into period pieces and you even you gave it a, a rating says it all yeah it, like it's really well acted by yeah. anthony hopkins and emma thompson like i think they gave really good performances i don't know i don't know what was missing for me but it just didn't really it didn't really hook me everything was competently acted and mm-hmm. written and directed there's really no feeling i can find with it necessarily it's yeah. just like i don't know I mean, I can't even articulate how I really. Yeah, I really like appreciate the message of the movie. Mm-hmm. I think I guess we'll get into that a little bit later, but um, yeah, a pretty subtle movie overall. Like if you're, especially depending on where you're at in your life and the experiences you've had. Well, let's just start talking about the plot because yeah, I feel we'll like just get into it. Maybe we'll be able to figure out really... what our if we discuss it, we'll be able to kind of like hash out hash out. Yeah, why we feel the way we do about it. Well, it starts off with this guy, Mr. Stevens, who's a butler at this estate in England, and he's about to go on a kind of like a vacation, he's, and it sets him off reflecting back on some events earlier in his life. Um, so most of the movie is a, really a flashback to events that happened 20 years or so earlier. So I think I'll just kind of state that off the bat, like most of the movie is a flashback. And, sort of thing. And, and it opens up really with correspondence between Anthony Hopkins' character and Emma Thompson's character, like they're writing letters yes. back and forth, because at the start of the movie, the estate that Anthony Hopkins has been working at all this time, its ownership is being transferred over, or there's a new owner that's, I guess... A wealthy American man has bought the estate, and you kind of get the idea that there was maybe a little bit of scandal or something and mm-hmm. and a lot of press about the circumstances and what happened. Right. So Anthony Hopkins, he, he talks to the new American owner of the, the property and 
uh, Mr. Lewis. Yes, and he, he says uh, that he's going to take a vacation, and Mr. Lewis tells him, oh, take my Daimler, and you can, you know, take it on your trip or wherever. You deserve to take a vacation, blah, blah, blah. And boy, does he, by the way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he sure does. And even though he's not on a vacation, he, it's still kind of, he works in, oh, on this trip that I'm taking, I'm going to kind of scout out some new workers for yeah. the place, too. We so need, even on his vacation, even on his vacation, he's not really taking a full vacation, he's talent scouting sort of <laughs> yeah and what he's actually doing is he's trying to get back in touch with emma thompson's character that's kind of what his ulterior motive is with this vacation so to speak uh because she had worked with him previously yeah, at the she, manor yeah she was the housekeeper so they were kind of peers managing different parts of the estate so the movie starts off with him going off on this trip and then it flashes back in time to when she was i guess just arriving where it was uh, still Lord Darlington, the previous yeah. owner's, his property or his estate. And it's in the period between the two world wars. Um, so there's like a little bit of talk about that. And that's it's all kind of like really in the background. Emma Thompson's character is uh, named Miss Kenton. And so she starts up as the housekeeper. And kind of like really early on after she starts, you can see a little bit of friction I think I would call it mm -hmm. between her and Mr. Stevens. So Mr. Stevens, not I think not very long after Miss Kenton was hired at the estate, suggests to Lord Darlington that his father is hired for the position of underbutler, which is kind of awkward. Can you hire my daddy? I want my daddy. That's to exactly work. how he says it's it. It's exactly yeah. I yeah. just have to let you. Yeah, we should let you know off the bat. That's how Anthony Hopkins talks. Yeah, it's really weird choice, but I mean, it's, you know, he's he's a professional actor, so who, who are we to judge? Yeah, like I said, it, it was really well done. Yeah, <laughs> he did a great job. Good voice right now. Maybe that's why we didn't like I, that so much. No, I like that. I mean, that was that was excellent. <laughs> But if you hire my daddy, please, please hire my daddy. No, <laughs> he doesn't. He, does, like he really does not talk at all like that at all. Unfortunately, um, I, mean, I think you get off the like pretty much right off the bat the strong impression of Mister Stevens being pretty much the epitome of like the stiff upper lip, repressed, prim English mm -hmm. butler. He's a butler to the max. To the max. So um, his father starts uh, as the underbutler, and there's this whole discussion between Miss Kenton and Mr. Stevens about how she's supposed to address his father, because she was referring to him by his first name, William, and that's scandalous for Mr. Stevens. And I think it really kind of illustrated Miss Kenton's character and temperament when she manages to sort of very subtly all the house staffer having their dinner and a bell rings and Miss Kenton says, oh, it's for you, Mr. Stevens. And so Anthony Hopkins character starts to move. She's like, oh, no, sorry. Excuse me. I meant the elder Mr. Stevens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just I mean, I guess just show that she's got like a little bit. She's like a little feisty. Mm -hmm. She's got like a sense of humor and spirit and whatever. Yeah, not, a, not a pushover. Not a pushover. Yeah, so we see the elder, Mr. Stevens, he's pretty old. Like yeah. He's, what, in his... Well, he's 75. So Yeah, so he's old to be doing any kind of butlering work. I, I, mean, I don't know what the average butler age is, but it seems like he's probably not... Prime supposed... butler age. <laughs> right. And it, it becomes pretty quickly apparent that he's not in good shape. He's leaving stuff behind, forgetting things. Like he's 
having problems serving people, like just getting really weak and like sweating and, and stuff. And like runny nose. Yeah, runny nose. And the, the beginning of the end for him is when he's carrying a tray across the lawn and he trips over a stone or he claims that he trips over a stone. It's kind of debatable whether he actually does and falls like flat on his face. And it's like, oh, that's not good. Yeah, things are just kind of, for, for his character, pretty much downhill from there. So there's this really big, important meeting of international guests that Lord Darlington's going to be having in a few weeks. And so he pulls Mr. Stevens into his office and is like, we can't have any of these shenanigans. You know, some really important discussions are going to happen that are going to shape the future of Europe. And we can't have a shitty underbutler. So Mr. Stevens has to go to his father and give him a reduced list of duties that he's able to handle. And even that, it's you can tell he's still kind of struggling with. So there's a lot of commotion as the state prepares for this big meeting with all these international politicians or whatever they are. And it's a focus on like Germany, what they Post-war to, Germany, yeah. Post, yeah. And, and, and their recovery. So the guests start to arrive at the estate and there's an American congressman and it, it turns out to be Mr. Lewis, his younger man. So he shows up first and he's a, a congressman from Pennsylvania. And then like the next guest to appear is someone from France. So Mr. Lewis is trying to pull the French guy aside and, and be like, hey, I don't think we're going to like the direction this meeting is going to take. We should talk beforehand, just make sure that we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. Stevens is just focused on making them like comfortable and trying to help. And he gets rudely pulled aside from attending to these men with the news that he collapsed. Right. So Mr. Stevens leaves to go see to his father. Yeah, so Mr. Stevens goes to see the elder Mr. Stevens, and it seems like he's kind of on his deathbed. And he's kind of trying to make amends, I guess, in a way, and he tells... Anthony Hopkins, like, you know, I, I fell out of love with your mother. And Anthony Hopkins is just, like, not really sure what to do with this. And he's still, his mind is still focused on the the big conference that they're having there. So he's just not really affected by it. Just He's not right. affected by much of anything in the course of the movie. At least not visibly. Like... Know, yeah, he just kind of pushes everything aside in the, the service of butlering. So then... Like, the, the big meeting takes place, and we kind of see him at the periphery of all this, getting everything set up. Partway through it, somebody pulls him aside and says, yeah, your father passed away, and he just, he's kind of taken aback momentarily, and then just keeps attending to the, the conference or to the, to the meeting. And then after, when he gets a break, he goes up to meet with the doctor who's there and like the doctor says oh yeah he he had a like a severe stroke but it was fast and your father wouldn't have felt any pain and anthony hopkins is like oh that's good to know but also we've got this french guy and he's having trouble like with his feet so please go see him now yeah and so even that like even then he barely pauses to acknowledge his own grief i mean that really epitomizes who this guy is and and what priorities he has. So, so at the meeting, we get to see a little bit of what's happening there just because Mr. Stevens is surveying everybody. But Mr. Lewis, the American, is basically the only one who's trying to stand up against what we find out to be Nazism. Lord Darlington kind of explains he felt like Germany got the short end of the stick with the Treaty of Versailles. 
Well, and I think you mentioned he specifically made like he was in the war and he made friends with the German guy yeah. while they were fighting. And they were like, oh, well, after the war, we'll meet up in better times. And he finds out this friend, af- like, after the war, he was having such a hard time. So Lord Darlington's friend ended up committing suicide. So that really colored his viewpoints on how Germany should be treated. So he's really colored from a, a very personal perspective, rather than looking at what's really going on. So Lord Darlington, he kind of is leaning that direction to start off with, and then he just by meeting with the German ambassadors and everything, he kind of gets pushed further into a pro-Germany, pro-sympathetic to Germany stance. And this is kind of most obviously expressed by the way that he treats the Jewish refugees that had been hired on. I don't even remember what his reasoning really Well, is. he says like, well, it's just like it's inappropriate for them to be working there. And it's really not a good argument. But Stevens is like, whatever, Lord Darlington doesn't want them working there. So he goes to Miss Kenton. And says, you know, hey, you have to fire them. And she's pretty upset, rightfully so, and is stating the argument like, if we kick them out and they don't find another job, they're going to be sent back to Germany. And she threatens to leave the job if they're fired. And uh, Mr. Stevens is like, I'm sorry, this is what Lord Darlington wants. He's just like so blind to anything but just serving. So the two refugees are fired and... Miss Kenton doesn't leave, and she she states, like, I don't know what I would do. I don't have any family, and this is really all I know. And so at that point, there's, like, a, a conversation where he kind of conveys that he's got feelings for her, but he, he can't even come right out and say it, and, and is like, well, you mean a lot to the manor. That's as close as he can get to conveying any sort of emotional yeah. attachment or yeah. friendship or anything to this woman that yeah. he spends a lot of time conversing with and working alongside. And that kind of sets the tone for the entire rest of the movie. It, it, it seems pretty clear that like she has some feelings towards him as well. And so she's kind yeah. of joking with him and giving him a jokingly giving him a hard time and kind of, you know, teasing and, and things like that. And he just doesn't really know how to deal with it at all. Just Yeah, well, there's this one especially, I think, telling scene where he is in his office reading a book. And Miss Kenton comes in. And she's like, what are you reading? And he just, like, is refusing to tell her what it is. And so she's just being really kind of playful and then manages to pry the book out of his hands. And she's like, oh, it's a romance novel, huh? I had no idea you would read those. And if it had been, like, anybody else, I think that might have been a scene where he would have ended up, like, kissing her or something. (laughs) Like, you know, if this was anybody else in any other movie. But he just is like, I read books to help broaden my vocabulary. Yeah. Like, that was it. Yeah. Because romance novels, they have a really uh, excellent vocabulary. (laughs) Yeah, as everybody knows. Yeah. So uh, there's a few different kind of scenes in that vein where, you know, you're kind of wanting to yell at at Mr. Stevens, like, just just, have these feelings. Just do something. Stop being a big butlery. Butler. Butler. Harsh insult. I, I apologize for anybody that's offended uh, by that. But um, so we're kind of skipping ahead further in time. We see more scenes of, of where Lord Darlington seems to be getting deeper and deeper in with the Nazis. And um, so Miss Kenton is going like on her days off. She's going and meeting with this guy that had used to work at the manor. Eventually, this former employee uh, asks Miss Kenton to leave with them to go to the West Country. And get married. And get married. And <laughs> More importantly, he proposed yeah, and she's thinking yeah. about it. No, just the boarding school. That's the prime takeaway. Business partners. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, 
he proposes. He proposes to uh, open a boarding school with her and then also marriage. And so she goes back to the manor and she's telling Mr. Stevens about this. And it's like she's pretty clearly giving him a chance to object to it. And Mr. Stevens is just oblivious or unwilling to admit yeah, to he's it. He's like, he, oh, well, good luck with your uh, decision. And I'm like, let me just back out of the room here and go back to butlering. Yeah, and he walks past her room and he hears her crying and he goes in and you're like, just like, okay, here we go. He's gonna... He's gonna do something. Gonna do something. He's gonna show some emotional attachment or something. But uh, no, he just tells her, uh, oh, this thing didn't get done. Yeah, so. this, uh, the maid, uh, she didn't dust this room. Look how dusty this bottle is. And she's crying. She's got tears streaming down her face. Yeah. She's on the floor. And literally, that's all he does. Like, oh, yeah, so uh, this needs to be taken care of. Bye. Like, okay, well, this is hopeless. So, yeah, she leaves. So then I guess we go back to present day. Mr. Right. Stevens. Right. And he's he's on his vacation traveling to the town that uh, she lives in now. And they've agreed to meet up. And his intention, I guess, is to win her back with the, the offer of working back at the manor again. Like, right. He, he can't, even now, he can't say, like, that he wants to, like, marry her or anything. He stops at a pub and he's, like, having a conversation with a guy. Like, he makes the comment, like, oh, I kind of want to rectify some things that, that went wrong earlier in my life. Right before he meets up with Miss Kenton, who is now Mrs. Ben, but separated from her husband. So her husband actually shows up at the boarding house where she's been staying. You know, he's talking about how hopeless he is without her and he can't get anything right, like taking care of himself or the house. And then also mentions that their daughter is pregnant. Um, and I think that really kind of seals the deal on her mind. So Mrs. Ben and Mr. Stevens meet up and she's like, well, I did think I might want to go back into service, but I just learned that my daughter is having a baby. So I want to stay in this area. And also my husband really needs me like more than anybody in the world. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just going to stay here and be near my grandkid and, like, that's it. Take care of my helpless, useless husband. Yeah, my useless husband who can't even shave his own face without cutting his cheek. Anthony Hopkins is like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I'm I'm glad I came out here to see that. Okay, well, goodbye. There's the the last scene when they're saying their goodbyes and you feel like there still could be a chance, like, that something could have happened. Like, he had... If you just said, said something, anything, like Miss like Kenton Ben is pretty clearly even now just like do something, just idiot. like show a sign that you care for me, and maybe I'll change my mind. Like she's still kind of giving him a shot. To be fair to him, I guess it is gonna be tougher for him to do that now than it would have been in the past. Now that she like has right family commitments, but totally still like. There's options. So he's just like, okay, well, peace out. Good luck with that. And she's kind of upset, but he's whatever. He's Mr. Stevens. And then he returns to Darlington Hall. And his boss, Mr. Lewis, asks him, like, how much remembers of the past. And, like, Mr. Stevens says, oh, I don't know. I was too busy serving. And then there's, like, a pigeon. Trapped in the house. Trapped in the house. And they eventually let it go. And that's the last shot is you're the pigeon flying away. Away and out of the movie. Yeah, so 
don't think I'm any closer to an idea of why I feel the way I do about it. Just, I, I mean... It's, I mean, it, it was well done. It it was very frustrating to watch. It, yeah, I mean, I think that's... Maybe that's more it. A lot like, of it, yeah. That we're just so frustrated with him. And it, because we're not that repressed, you know. We're not that committed to our <laughs> yeah. jobs. And I think, like, that just is his out for so many things over the course for of sure. the movie. Like, on his trip. Well, yeah. It's, it's like his out for not being aware or having any guilt for turning a blind eye to what Lord Darlington was up to. Yeah, and, and I mean, there, there's a scene when he's on his way to meet up with her. His car runs out of gas, and so he's at this pub, and he meets up with a local, and the local is asking him, oh, so, like, you knew these people pretty closely, what, like, Lord Darlington. And the, the reason why the whole manor is being sold off to this American in the first place is because Lord Darlington was kind of outed, outed in the press as being a Nazi sympathizer, and... We find out that he tried to sue the newspaper for defamation of character and lost badly. And so his reputation was tarnished and loss of status. and Total loss of status. And so this guy at the pub is like, oh, so you knew them, huh? What was it, were they like? And at first, Mr. Stevens is like, no, I didn't work with them. You know, I just got there the same time as this new guy, Mr. Lewis, who's an American. And then eventually, Mr. Stevens is like, you know what? I lied to you. I did actually work with Lord Darlington. And, you know, stuff happened, but he was still a decent man, although misguided. Yeah, just that, I don't know. Just like that weird disconnection. Yeah, it's it's hard to really feel bad for him. He's not a likable character, really. Right. I mean... It's hard to feel any positive emotion about him. Yeah. Just because of that, like, he's so like a robot in so many ways. Yeah, I mean, so I guess maybe that's why it didn't really... It's just hard to relate to that, I think, for us. Again, uh, totally well-crafted in pretty much every aspect. Just left me kind of with an impression, like, who cares? I don't know how much of it is just colored by our own lives and, like, things that are going on in the world. You shouldn't blindly be following somebody because that's your job. Yeah. It's hard for us to excuse it. Like, there's so much happening. There's so many... Looking back through history, there's so many times when people allowed shit to happen that they shouldn't have with the excuse. I was was following orders. I was doing my job, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Not realizing that you're complicit in the ill doings. You know, that's probably colored a lot of what I thought about the movie, just knowing that. Definitely. It's hard to feel any strong, positive emotion about Mr. Stevens. And when he's the, the focal point of the movie, that just... Right. That's kind of the point of the movie, really. This is not a good way to live your life. A family member recently shared an article that was stating the top regrets that people stayed on their deathbeds. And, like, one of the top ones, of course, is I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wonder if Mr. Stevens he would make that admission, like, I wish I had done more than butlering. Say Miss Kenton slash Mrs. Ben had decided, fuck it, I love you. And then he's like, yeah, you know what? I love you too. Come back to Darlington Hall. Who's to say that it's not going to be anything more than her just going back to housekeeping? And, you know, they have conversations in the evenings and whatever, but like that maybe that was, that's it. And like, that's all, you know, that might not have been a good thing for Emma Thompson's character. Probably not. (laughs) So. Yeah. And that, I think, would have been, like, potentially the happy outcome in this movie. Right. This guy isn't going to suddenly change and become, like, a a super warm person. No. You know, obviously there's something in him deep down, but he's so repressed. 
It's not going to be an easy Yeah. If that had been the ending, like, she goes back with him, it's not really a happy ending. No, it's like the ending that we're kind of conditioned to expect, but it would not be a good ending. So uh, maybe that's more my problem with it is like, yeah, it's a sad ending, but even if it had ended that way, it'd have been sad. Yeah. It's, it's more whole, just like this sadness of, of this man just can't this, live whole situation. a decent life. Like he can't recognize that there's more going on than duty servitude. and servitude. On, on that note, um, one thing. We couldn't find out a lot yeah, of there's like not... interesting tidbits or, or whatever to tell you, but... Andrew came up with a couple of things that were interesting. Yeah, th- this uh, this first thing is kind of speculation on my part, but I, I feel like it relates to that, that whole idea of realizing that, that there's more to life than in your job. Um, because I found this quote in Variety from 1998, so about five years after the movie came out. Uh, they had an article where Anthony Hopkins was talking about quitting acting. And so I'll just quote the article here. Acting is bad for the health, Hopkins said. I can't take it anymore. This has got to stop. I have wasted my life. To hell with this stupid show business, this ridiculous showbiz, this futile way of life. Hopkins said he has wanted to leave acting for the past five years, which, uh, like I just said, was right around the time that The Remains of the Day came out. So it's like, did this movie give him kind of a... Like a wake-up call? A wake-up call. Uh, So it didn't take, because obviously he did not quit acting. So weird parallels there that I, I kind of took note of. We have one other thing that I did find is that there apparently was a musical based on The Remains of the Day that uh, <laughs> ran in London for less than a month in 2010. Shock. Shock. Yeah. Ran at the Union Theatre in London from August 31st to September 25th uh, and received mixed reviews, which, again, shock. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like a good candidate for a musical. I mean, I know that not a whole lot is off-limits for musicals. Still, a weird choice. Yeah, so like Time Out London was one of the the negative reviews, and they, they said that uh, Alex Lovelace writes a nice tune, but his lyrics are aimless and spattered with cliches, and you don't have to have the rigid standards of a Stevens to consider solecisms such as the rhyming of French, Ubermensch, and Retrench to be ludicrous breaches of protocol. Again, uh, not a big surprise that it lasted less than a month. I think that kind of wraps up our thoughts on the remains of the day. Indeed. Let's have ourselves a seamless transition into talking about The Lure. The Lure. Which uh, is a movie that we saw originally back at the Seattle International Film Festival last year, 2016. And... um, it is a Polish rock opera about mermaid vampires. Yeah. Uh, I think really that's all we need to say. You should just go see it. Cause Basically, you should just go see it. Just go see it. Cause like, it's... it sounds so weird, but they managed to really pull it off well. Yeah, the music is really good. Yeah. There's some gore in it, but it's not overly gory, so you're not going to yeah. have to worry about that if you're There is Swedish. a lot of sexuality. There is, yes. There's quite a bit of nudity. And nudity. Bear that in mind. Criterion just released it on Blu-ray, so you can find it pretty easily now. So you should definitely check that out. Yes. Something interesting to note about it is, like, it's kind of set in this sort of fantasy 80s kind of nightclub. Mm -hmm. But it does, like, a really good job of merging both seediness and that weird 
club glamour mm-hmm. and that whole atmosphere and culture around that. That that I think wraps it up for this episode. Uh, if you want to keep on top of what we were doing with our releases or any other news that we have to post about, you can uh, follow our Facebook group, which is Tara and Andrew versus the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. You can also go to our website, which is TaraAndAndrewVersus.com. We obviously post the links to all the episodes as soon as they are released there. And if you have any comments or feedback, anything like that you wanted to talk to us about, you can send us an email at TaraAndAndrewVersus at gmail.com. So I'd like to say thank you very much to the band Boat for allowing us to use their song lately from the album Setting the Paces. You guys are the best. You guys are the best. And until next week, catch you later, potato hags. Catch you later, potato hags. <laughs>